it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Good evening. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, and tonight we're here to discuss brewery valuations. Uh, the Australian craft brewing industry has seen much activity in recent times. Acquisitions in the space have heated up as larger players look to expand, and local brewers have begun tapping capital markets. Many local craft breweries have raised private capital to fund expansion, including utilising crowdsourced funding. But how does a business value itself, whether for sale or capital investment? To discuss that issue tonight, I'm joined by my expert panel that includes Peter Bishop, Managing Director of HLB Chessboard. HLB Chessboard is a corporate advisory firm providing strategic advice to assist businesses at all stage of their business life cycle. Peter has particular expertise in advising businesses in relation to mergers and acquisitions, capital raising, valuations and IPOs. Welcome, Peter. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm also joined by Paul Fraser, National Director of CBRE Hotels Investment and Brokerage Team. He specialises in all asset classes across the hospitality industry. Paul's core focus is across large-style pub, tavern and accommodation-style assets across uh, the state. Paul, welcome to this uh, Brewery Pro Live. Thanks for having me. And finally, I'm joined by Matt Vitale, co-founder and managing director of Birchall, which I'm sure needs no introduction, but I will anyway. Birchall is licensed under Australia's crowdsourced funding regime, and since 2018, Birchall has raised over has helped over 100 Australian businesses raise over 70 million dollars from their most passionate customers and fans online. Welcome from Melbourne, Matt. Thanks for having me. Now, as we said, we're here to talk now. For those uh, watching on uh, Facebook, uh, which is the only place you can watch us, uh, we will be taking uh, questions from you. So if you've got any questions as the conversation takes place, you can uh, post them in the comments and they will be relayed to our panel. Now, Paul, the first question uh, for you. Uh, sure. I, I guess we haven't seen that many breweries sell in Australia. We've seen some very notable ones recently. Yeah. But we do see a lot of hotels, which is your area of specialty. Sure. When... If, if I'm a hotel owner uh, or I'm looking to buy a hotel, do you set the valuation or is there a standard uh, formula that you use when, when, when yep. you're looking? Tell us a little bit about how hotels value themselves. Okay. Um, so as an agent, I'm generally asked to go and obviously meet whoever owns the pub and provide them with some sort of proposal um, that will include what, what we call a broker's opinion of value. So... There's a certain methodology that we'd use as brokers going through that. So generally, we will look at, obviously, we'd, we'd be provided with profit and loss. We would look at how the turnover is, the revenue across the different streams of the business. It may be, it may just be a food and beverage operation. It may be food, beverage, retail, gaming, could have accommodation, etc. So we'll take a lot of those factors into consideration. We'll have what you call, I guess, a clean profit and loss. So... Owner operators, um, one example might be they, they might have a motor vehicle, uh, their own personal motor vehicle that they're using that's, that's run through the business. They'd, they'd add that back. Okay. We drive down, I guess, the, the profit and loss. We check benchmarks to, you know, we'll, we'll see abnormalities if, if, if wages are incredibly high or incredibly low. 
we're pretty diligent on that sort of stuff. We see P&Ls every day, so we get a really good idea of what they should look like, what the what the profit to revenue, you know, sh percentage should look like. We get that, I guess, that profit, that EBITDA number at the end. That will be either, if it's a freehold going concern, no rent. If it's a leasehold, there's obviously rent. So what we'll do on an EBITDA net profit point of view, we will look at that and then we'll look at comparable sales that have taken place. And we will match that, whether it's, you know, location wise, is it Southeast Queensland? Is it New South Wales based? Byron Bay is obviously incredibly hot at the moment. What, what are the cap rates on that? And we'll apply what we believe is a, a is a, a comparable asset that has sold recently to that. And that will produce what we believe is the rough value of that asset. If it's a leasehold, a little bit more complicated. You've obviously got the lease. Um, you've got a duty and obligation to the landlord. That will come into it. What do yearly ratchet increases look like? What is the rent to, to as a percentage of, of net profit? What does that look like? Is it sustainable? So there's a quite a, it's quite an intricate amount of detail that will go into that. It's quite an arduous process. But at the end of that, you should be able to go back to, to a publican and go, your, your asset is doing X amount as a maintainable profit every year. These are the, these are the, the venues that have sold in a comparable location. Some may be slightly superior. Some may slightly be inferior. And we say, right, that's your, that's your cap rate on that amount. And therefore there's your value. Okay. How, uh, consistently priced? Like you, can you pretty much, accurately guess how much a or work out how much a hotel will be worth or is there a price versus value proposition yeah i so i've been doing this for 12 years and i i, I thought i was getting better <laughs> I, I felt like i was getting better at it and then the market has turned i'd, I'd call it aggressively in the last <coughs> sort of certainly in the last 18 months maybe even 24 months where some of these some of these sales that have occurred, when, when you look at what the, what the, like I said, what the maintainable EBITDA is and, and the actual value that they sold for them, there's, there's a real disconnect there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that comes to an emotional buyer. It comes down to someone who, who maybe owns a pub in, you know, a, a competing pub next door that, that sees the economies of scale with it, just needs that as the last, the last piece. Sometimes it's a generational play. Honestly, sometimes it, it, it's a, it, it, there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it. They would be the five, maybe 10% of the assets that, that sell sometimes fall on that. 90% of the time, I would suggest that an asset comes across my, uh, uh, comes across my desk. I can, I can analyze it. I can say, look, there's the banding that it's going to come in. And I'd say with a 90% accuracy, you should be able to, uh, I'd be getting it right where, where, it, where it falls. Okay. How? How much guidance can somebody that owns a brewery and, you know, the 540 odd breweries in the country, mm. the vast majority are brew pubs or smaller event, smaller, um, with a significant portion of their yeah. revenue coming through their own over the bar, um, sales. Yeah. Should they be looking at themselves, you know, as, as breweries or should they be looking at themselves as yeah. more hospitality, uh, ventures? I mean, look, it's all, it, I guess it, it, a lot of it comes down to size and scale. So I, I think there are a lot of pros and cons with, with, with having your own brewery in, in your own pub, 
Um, you obviously, it's very parochial to that area. It can be very parochial to that area. You get high levels of engagement. You've got patronage coming in because he or she is a local brewery producing a, a great product for that region. A bit like farm to farm to plate or paddock to plate. It's that that same sort of ethos that 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 rightly so the the catchment buy into it. So that helps revenue. That obviously, you, you know, the, the, the cogs, uh, the cost of goods is obviously a, a, a pretty powerful tool as well. You, you know, you buy, you, you know, buy a, buy a keg off a brewer. Let's, let's call it $300. If you can produce it for $150, you're saving half, half your, half your cogs there. Better on the GP. That, that to me is a great story. Um, it, it's a strong offering to the market. Mm-hmm. The, the, the negative or the con on on it is there is a lot of IP or perceived IP that is tied up in that. So, you know, if I look at the vast market out there, is your is your is your average is your average pub buyer going to look at uh, at a, at a microbrewery? I genuinely think if they're not in that market to start with, it it has some drawbacks in it because they don't know what they don't know. So they can, they can get an understanding of food. They can get an understanding of beverage, mainstream food, mainstream beverage, gaming, etc. And they understand where the profit comes from those, from those revenue streams. Once you start talking about you, you're actually going to be brewing your own product here, a lot of them will switch off on that and just go, this is, this is too, this is almost in the too hard basket. Okay. Can I add to that? Absolutely. Peter, well, I was going to come to you and how, how closely does, um, the, the businesses, because you value businesses broadly, and how closely does hospitality fit in with the broader investment and business valuation model? Listening to Paul's answer, it kind of shows the confusion that I think is out there with valuation around the, the industry in total. So you talk cap rates. Cap rates are property-based valuation mm-hmm. where you're looking at the return on an asset and they're generally freehold assets. So you can see why cap rates become a discussion for people in pubs when they're freehold. Yep. But to me, brewing is about a brand and a distribution capacity, mm. something far greater than a pub may ever be able to achieve. Mm. So then you're talking about a standard business with potentially a lot more uh, growth profile, which is what I'd say is the attractive side of a brewery, mm. apart from the obvious. Um, and so then you've got to actually start talking about valuation method, standard valuation methodologies around going concerns. Mm-hmm. And that is, there's only one method. I know, I, I make things too simple. Uh, and lots of us have made careers around uh, <laughs> making valuation very complicated. But it's the net present value of future cash flows. Okay. That's it. Yeah. If you're th- thinking about an investment, you're looking at the future potential of profits to yourself or earnings, EBIT, DAR, EBIT, whatever line you want to pick. Mm. And what's it worth to you today in association to the risk to achieve those? So is, it, is that to the owner or to the buyer? Um, the, the, the Both. Future? So this yeah. is the, I think this is, so the complexity that I think entered this industry is that we're talking pubs, but we're talking breweries. I see them slightly differently as far as growth profiles go. One's a going concern, hopefully with less capital requirements. One's got a a lower yielding type asset in it being land and buildings. Mm. Yeah. Um, so first, 
I see a separation like that. Okay. Then I see the... And I'll just stop you. I would have thought that establishing like the land value would be a little bit easier than because uh, land value would be a little bit more concrete. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, it's an interesting point. <laughs> I, I think the, the issue... Okay. Well, I'll, well, I'll say this as, as tactfully as I possibly can. If you, if you own a pub and... Exactly what exactly what Matt was saying just as Peter was saying just before. Um, if you are valuing a pub and, and you're looking at what that cash flow is going to produce and you put a value on it, that is absolutely the way that that, that a business or a or a property or a pub should be valued. Correct, one hundred percent correct. On the flip side, if you're looking at a pub and you're valuing it by its underlying intrinsic value being the land that it sits on, the building, the fittings, fixtures, equipment, which five cents, I'm being facetious, five cents in the dollar, yep. 10 cents in the dollar, whatever that would do, that's not a good position to be in. So when I look at a pub and people say that pub sold for 20 million and they say, oh, but the land was worth, the land would be a, such a small percentage okay. of that of that value. But it would be a relatively concrete, definable, because then all of the earnings, you know, looking at the multiple income streams, um, would, would be where you start getting that higher um, value. Is that correct? So I'm, not, so I'm not talking about where you attribute value. Okay. I'm talking about methodology of valuation. Mm. Sure. So as, an, uh, as a pure investor wanting to make a return on their investment, you're looking at the future cash flows that it can provide you. Mm -hmm. If you can do that mm. in a technology company that requires a dollar investment, and you can make tens of thousands of dollars into the future, well, lucky you, you've done it on a lower cost base mm -hmm. than something that requires land and buildings. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So because, because, you know, traditionally it's a freehold asset, value, uh, property valuation comes into the mix, which is talking about cap rates. Mm -hmm. Yields. Okay. And I think the yeah. other, just a, the other really important point on, on this dis, this part of the discussion is, is that it's great if you're emotional and you want to buy a pub, and that's fantastic. And hospitality is in your blood. That's great. But behind you, whoever you may be, is going to be a financer who's talking to a bank or a bank. Okay, and we, yeah. we might. That, that's uh, something we might sort of park because I really want to uh, throw the cat amongst the pigeons uh, in yeah. terms of future income and bring in uh, Matt Vitali. Matt, tell us. Uh, you, you've heard the basic valuations, um, the valuations that we've seen for the crowdsource funding model have been much higher than potentially the perceived value of businesses are, um, and a lot of that is because they're early stage businesses looking very much at future earnings. Is that correct? Uh, look, I don't know that I'd necessarily agree with that, Matt. Like, you're putting a view that they're, okay. they're higher than others, but, you know, for the first time, these businesses have been offered uh, through crowdsource funding, and the reality is, you know, we, we only have a few data points or comparable transactions to, to look at. Um, Maybe if I can step back a second and just talk about what, what changed when the equity crowdfunding rules came in. You know, the first game changer is that proprietary limited companies can have a potentially unlimited number of investors, which was a really fundamental change to corporate law, where previously you'd need to convert to a public structure once you got over 50 non-employee shareholders. The second and perhaps the most significant is that these offers can be advertised online. And what that does is it expands the universe of potential investors into a deal from 
deals being done behind closed doors with you know a, a small kind of definable group of investors that will be looking at an opportunity uh, to you know potentially anyone with a smartphone um, and that presents a range of opportunities for businesses that have a strong consumer proposition and craft brewers craft distillers are supremely positioned uh, to do well with crowdfunding um, and you know I've heard it said before that if you're advertising, or sorry, if you're trying to sell a product and you can't advertise it, and then all of a sudden you can advertise it, uh, naturally that would put some upward pressure on prices. Can I, I jump say in? About, yeah, I think yeah, that's absolutely. the perfect segue. So yep. where I was going with that is it gets confusing because people mix up price, which Matt just said, yep. and value. Yep. So you come from this traditional market where there's cap rates used, you're actually talking about more of a going concern asset now where you've got higher growth opportunities with distribution capacities and branding and, and all those sorts of good things. So all of a sudden you move into the world of standard valuation practice. Um, there's one. There is the net present value of future cash flows. What people try to do is they use EBIT multiples and EBITDA multiples to simulate that to, as a shorthand version. But what happens when you're in an early stage venture if you use a multiple, you're only putting a multiple on what you call a future maintainable earning. Sure. And how do you pick that? Mm -hmm. So that's why it's even more important to think about the forecasts of this business moving forward so that you can try and capture some of that value and support it in the price. So what's happening is you want to have an evaluation of your business all the time because one of the key aspects, I hope, as a director is to try to increase shareholder value amongst other things. And so you've got to know every decision you're making is contributing to that. And if it's not, why not? Mm -hmm. Because there's other factors to, to consider, to prioritise. So what Matt's talking about is price. He's saying you put it out there to the, the public who are understanding that they might have a, a thousand other reasons to enjoy this asset. They might want to support it. They might know the people. It yeah. might be something that they, they um, think is really cool and want to be part of. That's called special value. Which but it's being sold as an investment, which is one of those great challenges. And I invite Matt to jump in if he wants because um, we had a uh, crowdsource. Uh, 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 Sorry, Matt. Yeah, we'll jump in there because, um, I mean... Fine, you can call it special value, you know, um, point out that it's been billed as an investment. Uh, but essentially, this is what markets do um, every day of the week. And, you know, even in the listed space around the world, you know, we've got people that are scratching their heads at uh, the way that, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world are being valued. And investors are looking at things and looking at assets and opportunities in a different way to they have, you know, ever have before. I'm not saying that, you know, Tesla is, um, you know, overvalued or undervalued, but just look at the, you know, commentary on, uh, on stocks like that, that we're in a new world and people are looking at pricing assets differently. Um, what I would say about crowdfunded investors, though, you know, many people think that it's just people that are perhaps less price sensitive and investing smaller amounts, and therefore they're not, you know, applying the same amount of rigor uh, to investing in these deals as others. That, that's not actually the case. So, you know, every deal that we've hosted is made up of, uh, you know, 
some wholesale investors. Now, um, we only have to determine someone's status as a wholesale investor if they want to invest more than $10,000. So, you know, the number of wholesale investors could in fact be more. They might just be investing less than $10,000. But to say that they're not applying the same you know, amount of rigor uh, to these opportunities um, as others, I don't know, is, is, is correct. Um, and special value, you know, while, while interesting as a concept, I, I, I'm not sure that it's uh, entirely accurate here. You know, what I think you need to remember is we provide a platform that for the first time makes it possible for businesses to, you know, make their offers to a national audience. In the same way, these opportunities have been made available to all Australians for the first time. So, you know, people ultimately need to make up their minds as to what is what is interesting to them as an investment. Um, and all of these, you know, uh, uh, considerations on valuation methodology are absolutely relevant. Uh, but this is something that I think we're, we're only, you know, going to... Uh, you know, see normalise over time with more, more data points. I, um, yeah, I, I, I will just, I might just sort of ask a quick follow-up if I could, Matt, because I, I appreciate what you're saying. A lot of the uh, CSF um, businesses that have raised money under that are only in the last two or three years. But, for example, there are breweries that have been on sale um, online, so effectively reaching the same pool of potential buyers as someone who's invested through a CSF. Um, and uh, there are businesses that include freehold land as an underpinning value that are selling for a tenth of what the value being put on the CSF valuations. Is that a fair comparison to look at a, you know, a, a brewery that's selling with the brewing equipment and even potentially land um, that you know, has, has a turnover and a, you know, recognisable value with a business that is essentially unproven with uh, a hope of earnings in, in the future if, if it survives in a fairly speculative and ever-competing market. Um, Matt? Uh, look, I mean, it's hard for me to give you the answer on, you know, on, on that hypothetical as to you know, which one is right, other than to say that you know, every investor should assess an opportunity on its merits. And uh, if you know, if, if I'm looking at the way that I assess some of these opportunities, it's uh, traction, it's uh, you know the, the strength of the brand, and my belief in the team being able to execute its plans, understanding where where sales are going to come from, and um, you know how confidently they'll they'll progress and execute on their on their plans. Uh, that's uh, you know ultimately what you know I, I think looking at the replacement cost or the, um, you know, the, the book value of these assets and kind of scratching your head why, the difference between those two opportunities is the people that are there operating the business. You know, like on the one hand, you're talking about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, brewery kit and land and all of these things. And that's, that's not factoring in the people that are there actually running the business. And uh, there must be a value um, you know, assigned for that. And I think that's what we're seeing in crowdfunding. Now, whether it's too high or not, um, I think that's a matter for the market to decide over time. As a platform, and, and, you know, I need to kind of clear this up because people ask us all the time, do we do we actually value the, the opportunities before we open the office? The short answer is no, we don't. We'll give feedback to companies. But 
that's probably one of the things that founders love most about crowdfunding is for the first time, they're able to set the terms on which they're happy to accept investment and investors can invest or not. And that's really empowering for, you know, a group of, uh, you know, uh, small business uh, founders that, uh, you know, haven't had a lot of bargaining power. And I mean, if we're talking about the tech space, there's been, you know, a, a group of people that have been controlling the purse strings and, you know, um, making kings or deciding who, you know, who will be kings and, and who won't. And, you know, even in, in the brewery space, and I, I know we're going to get onto um, back bank finance shortly, but, you know, for the first time, equity capital is available to a whole range of businesses that, uh, that haven't been able to include equity capital as part of their funding mix or if they did you know the only people that uh, that they would be able to go to were the people that were setting the price and the terms and, hey matt and uh, matt, matt and matt i don't think absolutely. equity crowdfunding's on trial oh no no i'm, I'm not what, it's what i think is that a business owner is trying to figure out what's going on hmm. and j- just for everybody to know HLB Chessboard has a relationship with Possible. Mm. We've done deals with Matt. We've taken clients there and worked with clients. I think it's an, it's an unbelievable opportunity that, uh, you know, the government's given the world and you've been implementing really well for three years. I think what, what my point is, is that companies should understand what's going on and, so and that they can utilise it the best. And if I try to jump ahead about 14 steps, <laughs> I actually think the risk is two to three years after a crowdfund for somebody. And what I mean by that is, of course, if you can go to market and raise something, I've seen somebody do something here at an implied revenue multiple of an 18 times revenue, mm. as if you wouldn't. Because when, you, when you're a founder and you're trying to raise capital, you're trying to figure out the value of the business. Hopefully, you're talking to somebody like us. But more importantly, you're trying to figure out how not to get diluted. So if you can raise money at 18 times revenue, you're going to do it. And, and that's what, what one of the... Yeah. What you have to think about in the future is will that uh, interfere with the next raise and the next raise? And if I sell, can I get more than 18 times in that transaction? So... I think crowdsource funding and, is mm. absolutely fantastic for the right business. It, it's, it's I, look, I just the, think the valuation yeah. behind the price needs to be in their in their minds, in the in the in the owners' minds, so that they can figure out. Because you know, if you look at this last deal that went through, and you believe the rumours, the multiples that they exited are at extraordinary. So why wouldn't you be raising money at 18 times now? I might just just um, jump in there quickly, right? Because I want to give you also some insight that we walk these companies through so people can understand, you know, what what insider crowdfunding offer looks like. We, We... we take companies through their capital planning for the future. And, and this is a point that I make to them, you know, often is that, yes, if this is the only round that you will ever do, then, um, you know, then shooting the lights out on your valuation might be a great strategy because it'll minimise dilution. But if you see in your future that you will need more capital, then, you know, you need to be thinking about that. You need to be pricing in enough upside for investors to encourage them to come along for the journey because crowdfunding should not only give you the capital you need this time, but it should provide you access to a pool of liquidity that you can continue to draw on into the future. But it's a great example because, you know, Black Hops, 
I think that was, um, the, the, look, you know, people raised their eyebrows. It was a pretty solid uh, uh, revenue multiple um, when we hosted their offer uh, back in 2019, 400,000 in six days. And um, they've since gone on to raise from their existing investors off platform and continued to, you know, show an uplift in venue, uh, in, in value. And that business is probably about 10 times the size of what it was when uh, when they came to us at 1.4 mil of revenue, I, I think, um, yeah, that's right. you know, yeah. during their first offer. So it's, I mean, we can raise eyebrows about this, but from time to time, it does work out for, for these companies. And, you know, absolutely, businesses should be thinking about their future raises, making sure that they've got a capital plan. I just wanted to step back and uh, to, the, to the point about uh, CSF being on or crowdsource funding being on trial and certainly not. But I guess as an observer and hearing a lot of the observations in the industry, when the only valuations that we see are big sales like stone and wood and the, 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 the rumoured sales and the, the, the bolters of the world and then the equity crowdfunding valuations, I know that there are a lot of people being drawn to the industry seeing uh, a pot of gold ahead um, sure. and we, we haven't seen any uh, you know we, we've not seen any breweries with a two or three million dollar uh, turnover sell um, we, which Matt is one of the reasons why uh, uh, interrogating the the valuations around crowdsource funding I think is a, a valuable exercise to set market expectations so you know Paul uh, yeah. one of the things that you were saying is that uh, there's a reluctance um, in some finance you know, amongst banks to lend to, to breweries at the moment. Um, yeah, uh, as an overall, I, I mean, the landscape changes. I, mm. I'll, I'll just qualify a little bit. The, the landscape changes and, and can change weekly on where banks will look at and where they won't. And I, I, But at the moment, I'd say it's fair to say that if you were going to walk in the front door as an unknown, unproven performer, in the craft brewing space, and say to the bank, "I want, I want to build a brewery. Uh, I'm, go I'm going to uh, buy the equipment. It's going to cost me two million dollars, and I want a million dollars. I want a, a 50% loan-to-value ratio. I think it's going to be unlikely that the banks are going to be receptive to that sort of conversation. Um, versus, um, if you are a known um, publican." You already have a cash flow business. It's already got a valuation. And you sort of go, you know what? I'm actually going to add a brewery to my existing operation. I already have cash flow. I already have revenue coming in the door. I'm going to spend the same amount of money per se, $2 million. But this is what it's going to look like on my current cost of goods. This is what it's going to do to my GP. I'm going to farm it out to my bottle shops. It says I'm going to have canning light, whatever it might be. Mm. That, that more robust business plan, I think we'll get more uh, more of a receptive uh, nod potentially from from the from from the banks out there at the moment than in, than in the current landscape, mm -hmm. where there are a lot of people wanting to get into that craft brew. And for all the right reasons, I will say, Matt, like the, a lot of people, and and to to your earlier point. Craft brewing is is an exciting space to be in for investors, and some of the multiples, you know, we can we can question a lot. But 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 I think the thing about it is it, it's an emot it, it can be very emotive, yeah. right? It it it's it's um, so it's, it it can capture that emotive piece. It's it's a it's a lower price point generally when you, when you're when you're coming into it. It's incredibly scalable 
as a business. So once you have the equipment to add on and, and, and increase your volume is, is relatively easy to do. And frankly, from a macroeconomic point of view, we under index as a nation on craft beer. Like that's a fact versus America, our volume of craft beer is still incredibly small. So the size of the pie is big. So absolutely, I understand why people can look at, you know, um, Black Hops, for instance, Matt, et cetera, and look at these businesses and go, okay, I'm going to buy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy at that price. I'm going to, I'm going to take a piece of it because frankly, I, I live in the area or I've had an experience with Black Hops. I like the product. All of those reasons that I've said before, macro, from a macroeconomic point, we're under index, very scalable, et cetera. I get it. If you're going to go in though, and you're going to, and to my earlier point, if you're going to go in and walk into a banker and say, I want money for a brand new craft brewery, um, no experience, no knowledge in the space, but this is what I want to do. I, I think you're going to find it difficult. Mm. Can I add to that? So when we take our corporate clients to banks, in the old days, people cared about security, the banks cared about security and then serviceability. It's the other way around now. They care mm -hmm. about serviceability first. Mm. So they'll walk in and go, oh, okay, 50% of the asset, you know, we can understand that if you're going to sell that asset, we'll probably get 50% of the, uh, you know, uh, 50 cents in the dollar back. Sure. So therefore, that's all right. We should do that mm. deal. Mm -hmm. My understanding of the banks nowadays is more that they're worried about serviceability. So if you're not producing a lot of earnings, they start to get a little Absolutely. bit wobbly at the knees. Mm -hmm. I'm a data bloke, so can I just give you some maths, <laughs> Absolutely. guys? So this morning, my team ran listed breweries in the world. Yep. There's 86 of them, I think, about 86. And the median EBITDA multiple that they're trading at is 12.7. So, so just talk us uh, for, for listeners that probably, or viewers that potentially don't know EBITDA and what that captures? So EBITDA is start at profit before tax and add back depreciation and amortisation. Mm -hmm. So okay. it's quasi cash. It's supposed to represent yep. the cash being generated from the business, mm -hmm. yep. which you can then use to pay debt mm -hmm. or to pay whatever you need to pay. Um, so a bit more valuation theory if people care is comps is where Paul started, property pub comps. Yep. That's the way we work as well. We're looking at multiples or discount rates on future cash flows of people in the market. Now, 12.7 shouldn't be what the, this craft brewery, you know, uh, early stage looks at because mm -hmm. they're smaller. So there's a discount for that. These guys can be valued up to $100 billion. Mm -hmm. um, there's liquidity. They're listed. So they get a premium for that because an investor can get in and out quickly. So that, that has another premium attached to it. But then the founders, when they're looking at these um, businesses, control them. So they might get to add a control premium on. Mm -hmm. So there's some massaging to do, but it's interesting to note that as at today, the brewery industry around the world, as big as the companies are, are 12.7. Okay. And out of interest, the last 20 deals that were announced, mergers and acquisitions, there's been 87 of them in the last five years in ASX, sorry, in globally listed businesses, and they've transacted at 11 times. Mm -hmm. So that's a, actually more comparable other than a discount for size. Yeah. So. Paul, have we seen many hotel groups uh, 
say crowdfund versus sale or invest? You know, how, how does how does that market operate? Not necessarily crowdfunding. I mean, there's certainly a, a lot of funds that are out there and, and, and actually becoming more prevalent every, every year. That that I mean, if you take Australia as as, as a as a whole landscape just now, I mean, it's well well known, well publicised that there are the two biggest players are um, AVC that was a, a JV with with Coles, mm-hmm. ex West Farmers. It becomes more and more confusing, but <laughs> a, a, AVC yep. and ALH, which is now Endeavour, which was with Woolworths, which demerged, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they're they're the two, obviously the two bigger players, uh, or the biggest players in the market, and and what we found is there has been more consolidation as the years go. I mean, I've been doing this for for now 11 years and, and, and every year, you know, there was more consolidation in that market. So in answer to your question, what has happened is a lot of private equity guys have banded up with, um, with operators um, that, that, that have sort of said, I, can't, I think it might have been Matt that mentioned it before, that a lot of these pubs, are, you know, rely, pubs are high, funnily enough, high cash flow, high liquor establishments, mm-hmm. which means that you you have to be, a, 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 you know, th- th- there is not a lot of margin for error. You, you know, if you, good publicans will, will thrive in that industry because there are so many things that you need to be over. You need to be, you know, head of your HR. You need to be hiring and firing. You need to be controlling the quality. You know, there are so many fail points in a pub and so many different revenue streams that you need to be all over it. So private equity rightly have have looked at this and a couple of them have come in early on and thought that they could do it and thought we'll just we'll just buy some pubs and have been it'd be fair to say been burnt not from a publican background have been burnt and and disappeared and now we're seeing a lot of that private equity um sort of funds come in and marry up with strong public i mean avc is backed by kkr Mm. one of the biggest private equity funds that's out there. So that model is is continuing and is getting stronger. So, I mean, I deal with a, lo- a lot of the funds nationally now, Sydney um, in, and Victoria, that are now looking at coming coming up. Not so much the crowdfunding. I mean, I know, obviously, Matt with the Speakeasy group has, has done a crowdfunding on on, on a group, but, but that is less prevalent just now mm-hmm. as to private equity out there. Okay. And I think you've got to actually make the dissemination between the investment, the, the, the investors that you're looking for at what stage of business you are. So the very early stage, pre-profit, very small revenues, it's a crowdfund. It's asking people to help them get to a certain point. These enormous groups, you know, mm. pub roll-up groups, private equity backed, yep. are way down the other end. They're not gonna talk venture capital. And, that's what gonna and bring then it, there yeah. are venture capitalists that yeah. sit in the middle, which, my personal thought as a capital raiser is let's go for some um, crowdsource funding if, if you can get it and then get to the point where a venture firm might be interested, mm. an institutional investor. Um, and I, haven't, I, I actually have a question to you guys and anybody else who's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know venture firms who are in early stage breweries yet. I'm looking, I'm looking for that. I'm not aware of any. The only I know one there's wholesale investors, high net worths, who yeah. want to put more than 10, 10k in, but I'm not sure about Instos yet. The, without having uh, thought about it, the one that I can think of is uh, 
uh, MitreCraft, which is a publicly listed accelerator that has invested in a number of breweries and has gradually right. been uh, up, upping its stake. Um, but again, uh, I don't have their values in, in front of me, but that's, the I think, the closest thing we've got. And with the vast majority of breweries in Australia um, being, you know, candidates for Matt's, uh, you know, uh, crowdsource funding model um, or full sale, um, mm -hmm. which is really uh, where we're coming at with this uh, um, panel. Now, just a couple of questions that have come in from the uh, discussion group. Um, Jason uh, asks, and this is probably for you, Paul, what impacts yep. have, you seen, have you seen COVID have on valuations, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney? Yeah, okay. Um, that's a good question. Uh, so so it, that's an ever-moving, sort of an ever-evolving uh, beast, unfortunately. I, w I, will, I will say this, that when I was... When I was when, when we were first talking to values, and I talked to them every week, when I was first talking to them, they took a methodology where I'll try and do this as simply as I possibly can without people's eyes glazing over. But let's just keep it really simple and say a pub is making a million dollars worth of EBITDA, net profit, and it has a 10% cap rate on it. So it's a $10 million value prior to COVID. So what the valuers were then looking at was they were going, right, the only way that we can do it, because it's such an extraordinary event that has happened, we don't know when it's stopped, when it, when it's going to finish. We don't know what it's going to do for, 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 for the business overall or the industry for, for that matter. We're looking at it as a cash flow interruption. So what they would look at is they would say, right, we are going to effectively what we're going to do is we're going to keep your cap rate the same, 10%, right? What we're going to do is we're going to keep your maintainable EBIT prior to March 23, which is when the lockdown occurred uh, last year. We're going to keep your EBITDA at that million dollars and we're going to still value it at 10 million minus six months of cash flow, which is half a million dollars. So that valuation, if you are, I guess, unlucky enough in that first sort of three or four months to, to have to get a valuation for finance purposes or whatever it was, you weren't getting you weren't getting penalised significantly. To the point: what you were getting is you were getting you were getting that half a million or, or, or that half a year's earnings deducted off as a straight cash flow, right. um, as a straight cash flow disruption. I think, unfortunately, you know, Melbourne has unfortunately, you know, had the, the horrible title of being the, the most locked down city uh, in the world because of, but because of COVID. I will say this, as far as talking from New South Wales and, and Queensland point of view, New South Wales opened a month, uh, you, you may or may not remember, New South Wales opened in June uh, last year after we, sh we shut in March 23rd. It was actually a month before uh, Queensland opened on July the 3rd, I think it was July the 3rd or 4th. And what we saw there on, on pubs that, 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 um, that opened straight away was there was a, there was a huge spike in across the revenue streams, which obviously filtered down onto their bottom line. So the rebound was quick and effective. So fortunately, a lot of publicans have, have a, I guess, they've had to wear those three months or two, two and a half months to three and a half months, depending on what state you're, you're in, out of New South Wales and, and Queensland. But you've bounced back strong, which, is, which has been a, a great thing. So. Now I'm seeing that the valuations have been some really strong sales recently that have occurred with incredibly strong tight yields that 
I don't believe that you're going to see any significant difference or, or certainly not going to go backwards on your valuation. Victoria, incredibly tough. They've been, they've been, I don't know how many days it is now that they've been in lockdown, but it's in a considerable amount of time. That, that's obviously creating a headache. And I think there's going to be, a, there has been a lot of deferrals of valuations on, on that front. Jason, there's a thing called the Australian Property Journal that's just released a paper on it. Okay. Um, so we might have been provide a link to that in the show notes we publish afterwards. Matt, how about you? Uh, we'll just bring you back in. Have you seen, we have seen a bit of a rush of uh, CSF or crowdfunding um, campaigns over the last 18 months. Do you think that has been COVID related or has that just been course of business? Yeah, look, I mean, we were on a really strong growth trajectory towards the end of 2019 you know it came back after after christmas looking forward to to another big year and then um like everyone you know covid just disrupted everything and i think after a brief pause you know we'd open an expression of interest campaign for hawkers beer which we we're really excited about but uh it didn't make a lot of sense raising money i mean they were building a tap room you know marzen um you know uh, told us it didn't make a lot of sense raising money for a tap room when we we didn't know um, if tap rooms were even going to be a thing back in uh, you know March April 2020. Um, but after a brief pause, we, we were able to get a few deals away, and then I think we showed that uh, crowdfunding was still open and it was still possible uh, for companies to raise capital. Ours is an entirely online process, so you know, particular advantage became very attractive to people. Uh, you know, who had other plans and, and couldn't execute them. Um, and now we're back to, you know, I suppose what you would expect in a growing uh, crowdfunding industry. You know, we look at the UK and the US as relevant precedents for Australia and uh, we're expecting the industry to grow. You know, it, it doubled year on year um, and we're expecting that to continue at least for the next few years. Um, question, uh, another question from the chat room, dollar per litre metrics um, in, in the brewing industry. Um, you, you're not able to answer that? So if you're able to work out, uh, I, I, presume, I presume, I know, I presume no it's a dollar cost, a dollar production cost per litre, whether that's something that you can scale. Um, we might just sort of get Stephen to uh, clarify that in, in, in the chat room um, if that's what he was after. How appropriate are dollar per litre metrics for brewery transactions, I guess? Uh, you know, either the value per litre produced maybe the other thing he was looking at. So I think uh, when ABI were active in the market in Australia, they were looking at you know the the, the value of the brewery based on the number of hectolitres of, of beer produced. But uh, I, I think it, yeah, mathematically it works. Again, it's all about potential future cash flow, and your cash flow is constrained by your litre of capacity, and so therefore there's a direct correlation between litres revenue, if you're operating at standard margins, then you can back solve it. You, uh, so these are totally. all those sorts of things yep. are good back of the envelope style mm -hmm. checks yep. of the real way of doing it, which is future earnings. How, how, with future yep. earnings, we're in a market that, as we've identified, is very exciting, a lot of new players, but it's also a highly concentrated market with two major players, two major retailers. Um, more people coming in. 
How do you calculate, uh, you know, projections uh, in for, for to future? Well, earnings? I think it's actually capacity based, isn't it? For for for, a brew, for the brewing industry, mm-hmm. I think for me, if I was starting out and purely thinking about how to increase the value of something, we've had the price versus value discussion. Value is going to be something that spits out of the future forecasts Mm -hmm. as accurate or inaccurate as they're going to be but you've got to have some sort of basis to start the discussion but then it's about when you see these unbelievable potential multiples that are being paid for things recently i think you've got to understand where the special value the special value comes in but in terms of why was it specifically so important for that business to acquire you did it plug a hole? Mm-hmm. Did it fill, solve a problem? Was a competitor killing you in that space? The big boys. Yep. So if you're preparing something for exit, you know, the private equity guys are the best at it in the world. They are sitting there and they've already orchestrated what the exit looks like and who it's to and what it needs to look like for them to want it. So I would be building a business, like if it's a lifestyle and it's an income stream forever, so be it. But if you're trying to build something to get crazy multiples, then maybe be looking at who's got a problem and how you can build something to solve. Okay, so again, we're looking at the bigger end of the the market there. If, if we're looking at small. a small suburban yeah. pub, um, yeah. and, and, and again, I guess when you're looking at a hotel, you've got multiple revenue streams, whether it's the, the, the food, the alcohol, pokey machines. Sure. Um, one, two, three bottle shops in Queensland, mm. um, all of which can provide the, the multiple income streams. Yeah. As a brewery, um, I, I guess you've got your over-the-bar sales yeah. and then your wholesale business yeah. um, and, you know, breaking down those. and Yeah, there seems to be, I, I mean, like maybe your listeners would know, would have a better insight into this and or certainly will have a better insight into this. But I, I hear a lot in the industry that this, this magic number of a million litres per annum is, is sort of the... Once you start doing a million litres of consumption in whatever brewery you have, you start getting those economies of scale. You start generating some profit or, or some decent profit. You're out of the, you're out of the red. You're, you're effectively into the black. And like I said before, it becomes very scalable. What I would say from a landscape point of view, and this is, this is certainly not a, not, does, I don't want to make this sound like a, a criticism at all, but, but when, when you have a craft brewery, it, you know, the, the, the bolters of the world have done it incredibly well where they concentrated on that, on that brand, on that on-premise presence, on that experience, the brand in hand. And then from there, they amplified out. And that, that then became in bottle shops, like you said. And then, you know, they would have had a conversation at some point with ALH or Dan Murphy's or ABC First Choice or whoever it was and managed to get the distribution out. And I think, Back to the earlier conversation about value and, and, and why crowdfunding is it because you can, you can have that model where your brewery and your tap house works really well and then you can amplify out. But you have to be really clear on what your strategy is. Do you want it to be an on-premise or do you actually want to get size and scale and have people ranging your products? And if you do, you need to have a very robust strategy around what that looks like from start to finish. And I guess we are talking about a variety of different models based on whether you just want to be a tap room and a very sure. small distribution or whether you want to, but then the costs uh, you know, 
uh, in, in increase yep. the, the bigger you become as well. Sure. And do do brewers need to look, you know, very closely at what their model is, uh, Peter, when they're. Um, you know. That was beautiful. That was perfect. Okay. You know, like if you you got to decide what business are you in. If you were in creating a brand and distributing a product and going big mm-hmm. for the lowest cost base you can, well, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you're a tap room trying to create an experience, sure. you're not you're not the same business. Well, on that matter, mm. I might bring uh, Matt back in um, because we have seen you know uh, a business like um, Black Ops, for example, um, that has a very aggressive strategy. They've got a very you know. Um, that they've grown to a big distribution model. Some of the other um, uh, crowdsourced funding models do tend have tended to be a little bit smaller in terms of their. Um, they just want to have a brewery in a tap room. Should should they be valuing themselves the same way, or is it really up to potential investors to decide uh, how they value that business? Uh, look, it's both. And again, I'll provide some more insight into our into our process. But you know, as, as you're probably aware, we run a, an expression of interest campaign before every offer, and it does a couple of things. Like it helps us assess how much demand is out there for the offer to help the company uh, structure uh, their minimum and maximum targets and things like that. But you know, a company will be engaging with people that have expressed interest uh, before the offer opens to test what they're thinking on uh, you know, the, their price, the, the pre-money valuation of the offer, but also their strategy, how they've presented the opportunity, any number of things. So there's an opportunity for investors that participate in an EOI process to actually give feedback to a company before they'll open the offer. As I mentioned, once an offer is open, we can't change anything about it, but there is an online discussion forum, uh, which was actually a you know, pretty innovative feature of the Australian law that in real time, people can ask questions of a company that's making a public offer of securities. So all of the information is there and people can ask the questions. And it's, I just I find it interesting. We're kind of sitting around here and analysing these offers. What a great thing. What a great time to be alive that there is so much rich information about well, I'll just time. jump in there because one of my criticisms of the crowdsource funding process is you have the expression of interest and you're talking about how people can ask questions and things like that, and yet none of the breweries provide their balance sheets until after the offer actually opens. And that, you know, to, to my way of thinking, there's a boiler room uh, mindset that develops where you, and having participated in a lot of these, you get daily emails saying we're at 80%, we're at 90%, we're at 100% and building pressure so that the day that it opens, you're going to miss out, you're going to miss out. But then how can you, how, how can a potential investor, given this is sold as an investment, actually ask a meaningful question in that expression of interest period when they don't have the figures, they don't have the balance sheet, they don't have the um, you know, share structure and those sorts of things? Sometimes they do. So, you know, anecdotally, um, you know, rather than kind of giving everyone the draft offer document before the offer opens, um, you know, I understand that uh, companies are in the practice of selecting a few investors, some that they might have already had a discussion with and, you know, talked about the opportunity and and, and shared the, the offer document in draft with them so they can, you know, tune it up before they open it. 
Um, but like, it's a good point that you make about you know investors, um, uh, you know, investing and not having time to consider the offer. All investors have five days to cool off their investment. Another, you know, innovative feature of the regime that was introduced to protect retail and investors. So, you know, that coupled with the online discussion forum and a detailed offer document, which, you know, for the first time brings some standardisation uh, for these opportunities. Um, you know, investors have all of the tools there to be able to make a decision to invest or not. And, you know, um, Peter was, was talking about data. I mean, that, that's probably the biggest opportunity of a thriving crowdfunding industry is that over time, we will have more data points to assess the performance of these companies and to figure out actually, you know, has the right price been paid? Because I, I'm not convinced that all of them have got it right. But, that, you know, that's not really for me. That's kind of, you know, for investors ultimately and, and time will tell. And... You know, not all of them are going to be a raging success, but, you know, uh, some of them might be. And uh, with more data and more time, um, I think that this is a really, you know, viable. And given what we've heard about, uh, you know, the, the bank's attitudes to lending to breweries at the moment, a, a really important and useful way for uh, companies to raise capital. It's certainly great for, for business owners. Paul, uh, and I'm just very conscious of the time. Sure. Uh, just, just bring it to a close. Uh, you know, should businesses uh, that work, whether at the small end or at the, the, the sort of rapidly expanding larger end of yep. the brewing business, should they have an awareness of what their business is worth? You know, is, is that a useful tool if you're just involved in the day-to-day -day of your business? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think, you know, there are multiple tools that you should be aware of. I mean, as a business owner, I would say 100% you should know where your, where your, where your business is from a value, from a current valuation point of view, 100%. And, but I also think on top of that, the other layer is you should be acutely aware of what levers as a business owner you are able to pull to maximize that performance and get the most out of it as well. So, I mean, there's certainly, you know, we spoke about several of them before, but there are certain business levers that you can move. You've got, you know, through your business that will increase the value of your current business. I think you should absolutely be aware of what, of what they are and, and, and how to maximize them. I mean, you know, retail, you know, we, we talk about COVID and how horrendous COVID has been and, and absolutely in the industry has, has been badly affected by it. It's certainly decimated by it in the on-premise, but the retail side of it has, has gone incredibly well. And I remember selling pubs eight years ago when even maybe five years ago when not a lot of people were interested in the retail side of it because it was dominated by the ALHs and the AVCs, you know, your first choices. And there wasn't, you know, a lot of money to be, or perceived money to be made out of it. Well, guess mm. what? In Queensland, when you own a pub, you own three detached bottle shops, or you can. Mm. So those bottle shops became central to cash flow. Like all these publicans, when, when we were shut from March the 20, 23rd to July the 4th, the only cash flow that they had coming through the door was retail. So I would, I would suggest that every person that owns a business, whether it be a brewery, craft brewery, a tap house, etc., should be aware legislation, what, be, what levers they should be able to move to have a profound effect on, on where the business values. No matter what sort of business, we, we write, we build valuation models so that somebody knows what it's going to look like at the next raise, so that they know what it looks like for a merger, yep. so that they can talk to a bank about it so that they can list it and understand where they're heading. It, it, it's, 
it's fundamental to every potential transaction that you might be looking at. And we might even look at doing a succession planning uh, panel because I think that's a that's probably the next step um, in having a valuation and working out what you're going to do with it. I, might I, do, I was just going to can I just add one yeah, point absolutely. to that. Absolutely. And I, I just uh, I, I think that I don't want this point to be missed. I, I I deal with a lot of publicans that I that I've known for a long period of time, and, and in my my line of work, it's it's. It, for me, a short-term plan is selling someone a pub and then walking off into the sunset and go, right, good luck with it. I have to, and I, and I should be incredibly aware of anyone who's buying up, who's coming and buying a pub. I say, I always say to them, what is your exit strategy on this? What are you looking at? You should be coming in at this price because that's the current valuation. But I've I've looked at the P and Ls. This is where I think the upside is. This is what what you should be doing, and this is where you could get it to. And at that point, your valuation has gone from X to Y. And at that point, if you want to sell out at that and exit and ride off into the sunset, great. But you must have that plan. Mm -hmm. Just very quickly, before mm. we do go, do you think we'll see many publicans in terms of the diverse revenue model put breweries in? Are we going to see uh, yep. um, hotels? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, look, we're, I'm already seeing it. I'm already seeing on a on a smaller scale, already doing it. Um, yeah, because it makes it makes sense on on cogs, and you know, I see a lot of cycles in this industry. There was a, there was a while back, certainly in Queensland, where there was a balance of land on a lot of pubs, so they decided to put accommodation on it, which was the right move to make because then you've got people staying at ninety rooms or whatever, so you've got people staying up in your in your hotel and guess what they come down they have a bite to eat they play on the pokies etc etc you get additional revenue out of it i think a lot of the astute publicans are now looking at it and going hey how can i how can i extract the best out of every expense line item that i can here and wages and cogs are two of your biggest so why wouldn't i look at cogs absolutely i've got a guy i've got a publican who owns coffee plantations in Papua New Guinea that has that uses the coffee through he's got um, cattle uh, as well that he uses for his beef like it just streamlining against the, I guess that that middle uh, or supplier side of things to bring his cogs down absolutely it's an astute thing to do and his his uh, the, the result of it is that his EBITDA to turnover is incredibly impressive and, and better than than certainly well above the average. Peter, last last word from you. Anything that you want to say uh, about valuation? No, just make sure you understand the nuances of everything. <laughs> I don't think Value, we've teased out a lot of price, nuances. Yeah, where you're going, what you're trying to achieve. And again, we've had a very broad discussion uh, across a whole range of things, but obviously speak to somebody who deals in this day in, day out. Is, can your average accountant uh, work with it or is it a specialty? Well, everybody will have an accountant mm -hmm. and they will be helping them. Uh, it's how they're helping them and what they're doing and whether they've got the relationships with uh, funders or uh, institutions or banks. Uh, that, that's the uh, probably the um, bit you'd be looking for. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this uh, Brewery Pro uh, live panel. Uh, thank you very much to Matt Vitale in Melbourne. Thanks for uh, making yourself available and uh, Thanks, Daylight Savings and everything, Matt. 
with any luck, I'll be able to get up there and join you for a beer. I, I should say that we were yeah. hoping that we were going to be able to do this live, but those borders haven't opened yet, so uh, hence the live stream. Uh, Peter Bishop, Paul Fraser, thank you very much for coming in, and uh, happy anniversary, uh, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, I won't be sending you, I'll be sitting you home with some champagne to uh, thank make you. up to your wife for uh, being with us tonight. And uh, thank you very much for joining us for this uh, Brews News Brewery Pro live stream. We hope to do it again very, very soon.